So James, this was a great interview we had with Patrick today. And I also have to throw out there, I felt like we were the Irish mafia, Patrick Gallagher, Patty Murphy, and James Shepard. James um, Shepard, who who my uh, my mother's maiden name was Gallagher. So. It was Gallagher, right? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I really enjoyed this. I thought, it, you know, he, he had some really what I call actionable insights for yeah. people who really want to, you know, um, those strategic partnerships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And then uh, I followed it up with kind of an extension of a, of a conversation we have in the interview about employment and just talking about really just growing your business. I shared some just specific, um, you know, just being really transparent about my business right now where I'm at and some of the uh, things we're doing in, in growth and um, shared some insights about how to kind of grow your company, your business and your payment business. Um, and then talk to us about the the insider's report. The insider's report is on something probably a lot of people have seen in their local newspapers about the new MCC code for gun shops. And, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about that in, you know, should say, you know, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. I talked to both Visa and MasterCard. It's going to take them time to yeah. do the background work. So it's probably going to be six months to a year before we see it, but it is a change worth noting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I think it's a really good episode today. If you're looking for strategic partnerships, looking to grow, looking to understand the latest, uh, you know, issues uh, related to payments around gun sales, definitely check it out. We're looking forward to it. Uh, this is brought to you by NMI.com. Uh, that's Nancy Mary Indigo, NMI.com, processor agnostic technology company. They have a gateway. They have omni-channel with terminals, devices, um, and also uh, they have a, a recent integration with Iris CRM right. uh, with their instant onboarding. So definitely check out our sponsors. You can go to NMI.com and learn more about them. But I'm ready if you are, Patty, to dive let's, in. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Patrick Gallagher, who is the CEO at Reliable Payments. How are you doing today, Patrick? Hey, James. How are you doing? Nice to see you. Doing great. Doing great. So um, we're going to be talking today about a very interesting uh, concept here of strategic partnerships and really just kind of building a portfolio. And I want to talk about your journey a little bit first, Patrick. So tell us, how did you get into the industry and kind of how is your ISO? What's been the journey for you to develop to where you're at today? Yeah, sure. No, thanks. Um, I started out uh, 11, 12 years ago. I was just an independent road warrior uh, tied up with with a processor. And, um, you know, originally I actually started out partner with a uh, payroll company. My brother owns a large payroll company. I started out with him really as just an ancillary product of the payroll company. Um, it was a perfect entree um, into the business. And so that started out and, you know, really just kind of did that for a couple of years. For the first couple of years, I'd say 80% of my clients came from that. Um, and then I started seeing a transition where it was no longer 80% of my clients were coming from there, but maybe 60%, 50%. And I was starting to get more and more from other avenues, whether it's just direct you know, selling or other relationships I was setting up. And um, I realized that um, you know, I should start taking advantage of more than just the one relationship I had. So I started adding sales folks. Um, and uh and really now we're a straight up standalone company that, um, you know, sells, sells processing a, across a wide variety of partnerships and, uh, you know, methods of selling with its direct folks and agents and partnerships and everything. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I thought it might be helpful here, Patrick, because, uh, you know, you have a unique business model. I mean, really you do. I, I feel like, you know, we, we interview the humongous, you know, super ISO execs and we interview the individual agents and the, the traditional teams. But in your case, you know, you do have a lot of different things. You have strategic partnerships, you have an inside sales team, you have an outside sales team, you know, you have these different things. So give us that flavor. Like where does your new business come from today in your business and give us a little context if you would. Yeah, no. So I've got, you know, I would say I've got three main channels 
um, of, of business if I want to couple it. And I could even kind of couple it into two, which is outside 1099 folks and then inside slash outside W2 folks. But the third facet of that is, is um, referral channels that we've built. And, and today, as you talk today, you know, 90% of those relationships are built for my inside, my W2 folks. Um, sure. And so I've got a, a channel of 1099 agents that we're cultivating and growing. Um, but, but, you know, historically, previously, I was just an in-house W2 shop. Um, and I would hire, as I would sell more deals, I would hire a W2 salesperson as in, as myself. And they would sell more deals. We would add another W2 salesperson. And we were just kind of growing everything internally. And I have recently brought in, over the past uh, two years, I brought in somebody who's focusing solely on finding relationships for me. So finding associations, CPA firms, trying to go after banks and um, integrated partners, all those areas where, you know, not one plus one equals two, but one plus one equals 50. Um, And so I've got one person who focuses on that. And then their job is to basically cultivate those and turn those over to a sales rep to manage and and harvest the deals out of that. So um, we are beginning to start look at offering that same service or at least consultation piece to our 1099 agents, if nothing else saying, hey, look, um, here's how we're doing this. You may want to follow these steps and Mm -hmm. try and find these in in your area as well. So, um, you know, I want to dig into this idea of growing your portfolio through strategic partnerships, which you just alluded to. Um, I think what you're doing, you know, again, I know other companies where that's the only channel that they have. And I think what you're doing is standard, meaning you have the inside sales team. And so we'll talk more about that. But I first want to just talk about identifying these strategic partnerships and what makes a good strategic partner? What do they provide? What do you provide? Give our audience a little context, especially those who maybe, you know, they've just never had that. Maybe they have an outside sales team or even an inside team, but they've never had a strategic partnership. What exactly does that look like? Yeah. I mean, if anybody wants to know what a bad one is, give me a call. I've got a million of them. I found them all. So the good (laughs) news is it's all easy now. It's now I've got the good ones. I've gotten rid of all the bad ones. Um, You know, first and foremost, and, 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 especially folks starting out, I can speak from experience. You want anybody who's willing to give you the time of day. If somebody's really excited about it, bringing you on for the most part, you may want to ask why they're so excited, right? So, so first and foremost, you got to make sure that they have members and prospects that they can offer you, right? There is a reason for you to be there and it's not a sponsorship. The people are really excited to get you in and bring you in. They either want you to volunteer time and effort um, or money and maybe don't, you know, you, you got to be careful that they, they actually want you for the, the the payment side of things and not for, you know, sponsorship. But so first and foremost, make sure they have members of prospects, clients, a base for you to access and sell your products to. Right. Um, you know, we generally look to find folks that are willing to offer exclusivity, allow us to be the one provider for that group. Um, but there are some who just say, you know what, look, we're not looking for others, but we just don't like to sign exclusivity. And we, we're, we're fine with that as long as we feel it's worth our time. Um, you, you know, we look for them, you know, once we qualify that part, we say, all right, what type of relationship is this going to be? Are you going to um, introduce us to the folks on your behalf? Are you going to get this and get us in front of the base that you represented, whether it's an association or it's a, a marketing company that has 50, you know, clients that they do website marketing for? Um, are you going to communicate on our behalf and introduce us? Are you going to give us, give us recognition um, within your operation? Um, and then you get down to the nitty gritty as far as what they're offering, what you're offering back and forth. You start talking, is there going to be a ref share necessary? We're going to need to give them a cut of the business or, you know, some CPA firms or law firms say, hey, look, as long as you take care of my clients, 
That's what I want. I don't right. need the money. I don't want to charge you for it. And that those are great relationships right there because it's free. Yep. And if you do a good job, they will sell you left and right. Um, and then lastly, as we get into really what we're expected to provide, um, above all else, presence. We must provide presence. We must be there. You must be, whether even whether it's remote or not, um, you need to be there. The many relationships I've started, a lot of them say, yeah, we already have somebody and I haven't heard from them in three years. And we've got a contract with them and we're paying, we're getting all this money, but we don't hear from them and 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 and, and nothing grows if you're not present. So um, that's the number one thing we push. And then, you know, and then with that, you got to provide, uh, uh, you know, above all else, you got to be fantastic, fantastic support, really, really good service. You got to have integrity because you are not repping your brand you're rep- rep- representing the strategic partnerships brand and then your brand, right? So you are being introduced on their behalf. You got to honor that. And if you don't do that first, um, you, you got to act as a consultant and respect that and say, hey, look, we're here to help, but uh, we're not here to mess anything up. Yeah, yeah. So talk to us, if you would, about your first strategic partnership. I think this is an interesting approach. You know, what did you do right? What would you change if you could go back and start all over again? Yeah, um, a lot. The one, one of the first ones I had was enormous, and I lost it in six months. Um, I was just too green, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, I would say the first thing I would do is qualify my availability, my ability to provide support for the size of, of operation that uh-huh. was being offered to me. The first one I was in way over my head. They had, I think, it was six thousand participants, um, 6,000 members that they were willing to push me onto. And I just had no strategic plan together. I went up there just thinking, Hey, great. I'll sell merchant services into you guys. And I'll, you know, I'll give you a little cut. And they sat there and said, what are you going to offer? What's your marketing plan? What's this, what's that? And I had none of that prepared. Um, but I did, I, they gave me an opportunity at it because I came in and I said, here is what I'm going to do. I'm provide a true partnership. They had a big a big processor with them at the time that was engaged with them. And it was one of those ones that they hadn't heard from. And so often they haven't done an initiative into the membership as they said, well, let's give you a a shot, but you need to get good on all these other things. But they liked the fact that I came in and said, look, I'm going to build a true partnership with you. I'm going to sell on behalf of your organization and I'm going to sell it as a member benefit, right? As part of this, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And because you represent being, um, the true integrity within your industry, we're going to match that. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do the same thing that you offer to these folks. Um, and and I was really there to truly help their base. And I sold that above all else. And they said, you know, look, if nothing else, you can't hurt us. You just may not be as effective. And it turns out me being a one little man going after a big organization, I just wasn't able to to to, to support it. So I guess I over over my my mouth was bigger than my my you know, my mouth was bigger than my stomach. I think that's the phrase. I just you know, yeah. took too big of a bite on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on geography, you know, and as it relates to these deals? I would think that with Zoom and other remote technologies, you know, it makes it a lot easier to go outside of your footprint. You know, are there still advantages to staying close to home? Yeah, so, you know, I'll start. The easiest answer with that is it strictly depends on the partner. It You, you have to, it, there is no one size fits all. You have to take the partner um, at face value, you have to understand what their needs are. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty, um, you know, I will say for folks who don't have uh, a great partnership, you know, side business or part partnership side of their organization yet, um, start small, start local, 
and sell that you are the local person. You're the one throat to choke. I'm the, you're the person you're going to see at happy hour. I'm the person you're going to see bringing in donuts to, to Karen and Tom at the front desk. Um, I'm going to be at all your happy hours, all your fundraisers. I'm going to play golf in the tournaments. I'm going to do that stuff. And I'm going to be the person there. It's a great way to, you know, to kind of cut your teeth in, in, in that side of things to really learn um, what's effective and what's not effective. Um, you can, you can, you can sell being part of a community with that. And also you can test all these initiatives that you want to try out that can help you hone in what you, what's good and what's bad. Um, and they'll be honest with you. you the smaller folks who want you to be a local partner, they're going to be excited to have you there. They're going to help you grow. Once you get to the national side of things, the larger side of things, ones that locality doesn't necessarily matter. Um, yeah, you can do zoom. You can, you can sell everything over the phone. I mean, these, as you mentioned, these days we can really kind of do anything from anywhere and if you're selling to an organization that isn't intent on locality, for example, you get into a marketing association. I work with a marketing firm that does websites for companies all over the country. They don't care that I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and this guy's out in, in, in Cleveland. Um, that doesn't matter. We're selling a good product with good service there. And so when you sell to the partnership, hey, look, we're not caring about locality. We're selling about taking care of your customers. We're going to provide you the technology you need. And when your customers call us, we're going to answer the phone. We're going to help them out. We're going to take care of them. That's all they care about. So it really just depends on the partnership and what you promise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one, one little follow-up I want to do here, Patrick, you know, one of the interesting things to me about um, just growth in business in general is the, I, this decision about bringing, you know, people onto your team, you know, employees, full-time employees, not, not necessarily for sales. I mean, you mentioned one person you have now that's full-time bringing these relationships. Um, when you talk about the journey from that first deal where you kind of got in over your head, bit off a little more than you could chew, um, to where you are today, where you have a staff and you have, you know, a, a, a team. I mean, I, I believe, I mean, from our conversations, I think it's a, not a massive team, but you have a, a team, you have a good staff, you know, talk to me about that decision to maybe hire that first person or the rationale to say, okay, it's time to take the risk. Like, how did you make that decision? Cause I know a lot of people in our industry really struggle with that first and second hire. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny. The first and second hire are the toughest ones to make because yeah. you've got to take that. That's coming out of your pocket. That's just right. plain and simple. Like you have this money you're taking home and then you're not taking home. Yeah. Um, and so that's the hardest one. You got to do it right. And and unfortunately, 50% of the time, you're not going to do it right, if not more. Um, it just, it's just, this is the way it is. But making the decision on how to hire, what to hire, who to hire, um, you have to decide what your, if it's your first hire, you have to decide what your strength is. Are you the best salesperson out there? Are you the best one and nobody else can do as good as you, but you're bogged down by admin, you're bogged down by supporting clients, by installing clients, then you need to hire an admin focused person. Or are you a a decent salesperson, but you're really more of a visionary. You can see these partnerships, you can see these arrangements, but you need just a hustler who can get out there and bang on doors. Well, then you need to be going towards the sales side, you know, going towards somebody who's going to be more on the relationship side. It depends on, you know, I, you can even look at like a hybrid, right? I've seen some folks that uh, they get an assistant, but they teach them how to sell merchant at the same time. And yeah. next thing you know, in a year or two, that person's selling as many deals as, as the original. So you, you have to decide, number one, what your strength is and supplement, supplement that first. Um, you know, I, I've always said that me having a person who focuses on COI, center for, centers of influence, um, it, it, for lack of a better word, it's a luxury, right? It, it I, it, it, it's something that's mm-hmm. nice. And I've decided that that's going to help me grow my W2. It, what it does is an investment in my W2 sales team because sure. it, it ensures or certainly aids the initial success of those folks. They can come in and we can say, hey, look, we're building out this new association. Why don't you go cut your teeth on this one? Why don't you go get started there? So 
for me, it's more of an investment into the salespeople I have um, and, and ensuring that they're, that the time and effort I put into them is going to be well worth it because they're going to have um, a little bit easier, you know, entry into the, the big, big pool here. So you got to decide what you got, what your strengths are, and what you really need to fill. Yeah. And you know, one thing that really stands out to me about that, I think, I think a lot of people try to make that first and second hire more for convenience yeah. than, than for return on investment. And I generally think that's a mistake. You know, you're hiring your first or second person. It's not time for you to semi-retire. Like yeah. if you're going to go down that path, you got to go a lot further. I mean, right yeah. now I could make a couple of calls. I could leave for a month and everything would be fine. Yeah. But that's, that's not how it was when I had my first employee. That's my like 17 and 18. You know what I mean? Like, yeah when you hire your first couple, that's when you're like, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be working a lot more because I'm going to do everything I'm doing now. And I'm going to train this other person on how to do what they're doing, you know? And so I think that's really important that you're hiring somebody and saying, what's my clear path to increased profitability. Like I don't want to just offset their payroll. How do I make four times as much as their payroll within 60 days, within 90 days? Right. It's, it's the truth. I, I had somebody that was with me previously and, and every time we hired the decision was, well, this person's going to take X, Y, Z off my plate and I can do less now. I'm ready to do less. I'm ready to do less. And, and I'm like, we're in growth mode. It's time to grow. Right. And, and if right. you want to grow, right. then you need to find a person that will multiply, right? right. Not, mm-hmm. not take away from what you're doing. They will add it to it. And then you can always hire more to it. Um, but yeah, you know, James, that's a great point. A lot of folks you see, especially when they're hiring that first or second employee, they're going to say, oh, I'm going to be able to spend more time on the golf course, more time at home. Well, then, then you're going to just replace the work that you were doing and you're going to stay stagnant. And what's happened, you're going to make less money because now you got to pay somebody else. And and you know, what's funny about it. Isn't it true, Patrick? It's like, you're going to make less money and you think you're going to spend more time on the golf course. You're going to spend less time. Right. You just hired yourself a headache because now you're not engaged enough to train them and they're going to be terrible at their job. They're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. They're going to quit in six months. and You're going to start all over again. Yep. It, It couldn't be more true. That could not be more true. Hiring a person, not only is it financially tough, it's, it's responsibly and, and and the amount of admin work, the training you got to do, you are doubling your workload for at least right. three to four months. You yep, now right. have to, you have to, you have to slow down on the stuff you do quickly and say, here is how it's done. And you have to come back and say, did you understand? Let me show you again. Let me yep. show you again. It is not just, I'm going to hire a person, plug them in and tomorrow I'm going to be on the golf course. It doesn't work like that. And, and, and you have to realize you're taking responsibility not only for your business, but for somebody else's well-being. You are yes. responsible for providing them a valuable career opportunity. And I take that home with me every single night that not only am I working hard for my family, but I'm working hard for the lives of the folks who work for me and their families. And it's a responsibility yes. you have to take seriously. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't, I could not agree more. I think, I think it's, you know, and again, we're really off topic here, but I'm enjoying this. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. you know, I feel like it's, you don't really turn that corner until you've developed your team to the point where you have people that are training the new people. Right. Yep. Yep, then and right. only then you can make hiring decisions purely based off of a financial metric and yep. okay, what's my cash flow going to be? I'm thinking like literally right now, like in the office next to me, I have yep. somebody training a new statement analyst over here. I have somebody training somebody on sales and you know, like yep. then you're kind of like, okay, cool. Like this is now, now you're actually the CEO and you, you know what I mean? You can do some things, but yep. when you're bringing those first people in, I mean, like you said, somebody is responsible not only for the getting them paid, but somebody who's responsible for giving them a, a satisfying and fulfilling career um, and, and giving them a challenge. All right, let's, let's get back. So I want to talk for just a second here about um, leveraging the brand of the strategic partner. Yeah. You alluded to it a second ago. Talk to us more about that. You know, yeah. how do you convince them to let you leverage their brand and how do you leverage it once you get their permission? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, you have to set guidelines with them. You have to have a conversation 
at the very beginning, what is this relationship going to be? What are you expecting from me? What am I expecting from you? And what are you going to do for me? What am I going to do for you? So you have to understand how involved they want to be, how, how involved they want the brand to be, and how involved they want that to be within our sales pitch. So, um, you know, we have to have that conversation with them and say, hey, we generally speaking see more success in this manner. And by calling up and saying, hey, you're a member of this association or, or you are or whatever it is and saying, they have chosen us as the preferred because we provide XYZ service to you and you lever, you lean on that as hard as you possibly can. But there are some who say, hey, look, we're going to introduce you. We'll mention, we'll mention you. We'll throw your name out there. But there's 300 businesses in here that'll buy from you. But we don't want you just leaning on us. We want you to do the hard work. And you say, okay, well, great. I'll, I'll, you know, you give me 300 leads. That's fantastic. It's just you understand it's a different relationship. But you have to be careful. I, I can give you a quick story. Um, I had someone previously who was with me and they were selling into an association, one of one of the more profitable associations we've ever found. It's amazing. And um, they were pitching to the president of the board who was also a, his business was a member of this association. And he was the president of the association as well. And, and the guy went in and said, um, you're the president. You should automatically be doing business with us. How does it look if you're not doing business with us? You have to be doing business with us. Right. The guy basically threw him out of the office with him and said, I don't buy from you out of obligation. I buy from you out of need and value. And you right. need to learn that. And accordingly, you need to be very careful on how you handle the rest of this association. Right. It was it was a learning lesson that I tell to this day um, that there is no expectation or, or guarantee of anything. You go in the respectful and you say, hey, if I can provide value, I'd love to provide that. But if not, I'm just glad to be here. And and no. and and so you need to be respectful of the association and realize at the end of the day, you're still selling. You're not given anything. Right. Um, and so you use the brand um, with respect and, and understand your situation. Yeah, that's yeah. that's good advice. Thank I you. Like that. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I actually had a, um, I had an, an interesting situation where uh, we were going after a franchise one time. I was uh, uh, multiple hundreds of locations for a pizza shop mm-hmm. and we did not have express authorization from the franchiser. Like we were just targeting them, you know? So I was very careful about our marketing materials and that, you know, we have an offer for XYZ pizza shops, but it's not, you know, we're not in any way associated, you know, all that. Well, I had a sales uh, person that I'd hired to follow up on these leads. And I get this very uh, angry email from the franchisor after like a week, turns out my salesperson was reaching out and saying, the franchisor asked us to reach out to you, da, 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 da. And so, and you know, I had to fire this person over it and it was this huge mess for me. And so it just kind of goes to show, I mean, they are very particular (laughs) about their brand whether it's a franchise uh, group or association. I don't know your experience, Patrick, but in my experience, that's definitely a very important topic to have a discussion about. You don't want to surprise them with anything. It goes that, you know, James, honestly, it's something my, my, my father taught me when I first got into sales. Um, He said, do not ever give anybody list anybody as a reference, unless you have directly spoken to them that you are going to give them that as a reference. Because number one, you're either going to, you're going to upset them or number two, you're going to forget that they're angry about, they're angry, angry at you uh-huh. about something. And they're going to say, this guy's terrible. Don't do business right. with him. Um, so never, ever, ever give a reference of any aspect unless the person you're giving knows exactly you're doing it. It's just, right. it's just respectful and, and yep. having integrity in it. Exactly. So yeah. And it's also, I mean, the ISO, the agent has its brand that it wants to protect, and therefore it should be protecting those other brands. Well, look, yeah. let's be honest here. You know, look, we, we're all in this industry. 
there are folks out there who maybe need to wash their hands a little bit there. You know, it's a little, you know, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's a good I'm, way to put I'm, it. A strong, I'm a strong believer in leaving our community better than we found it. I believe that in personal um, and also in the business community. And I, and I think that we, as the future of this industry, who get so angry about what some of the other folks do, we need to then lead by example and, and handle this the right way. And, and, and you gotta, you gotta lead with integrity. Sure. Love it. So let, I want to talk just for a second, kind of a last question here about this topic of strategic partnerships. So for the individual agent, they're out in the field, they, you know, pounding the pavement uh, and they, they are listening to this right now. Maybe they're in their car driving to the next stop, you know, um, what should they do? What's the next action step for them to go down this path of strategic partnership and kind of start building a portfolio in that direction? Yeah. So first off, um, just search. I would start off with associations. Associations are the greatest place to start. Um, you're going to find, you'll find a couple. Um, you may find some small ones and just start going to happy hours. Start going to, um, you know, dinners that they're doing and, 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 and um, start reaching out to them and saying, hey, we can offer you, and some of them are just looking for a residual cut. And you can go to them and say, hey, we're willing to offer you a residual if, and start slow. Um, and, and, you know, if you have a little capital built up, Maybe you're able to find one or two associations that would see benefit in you sponsoring a golf tournament or sponsoring um, an annual conference. We have this one association that I've been sponsoring for nine years, um, and and I've gotten so much business out of it that um, they call me every year and they keep upping the sponsorship level um, just because they know how much business I've gotten. They've got I've gotten out of it, and they know that I'll I'll write them whatever check they ask me to write. Um, and and I think that's also a very important thing to note, once you sponsor, you can't unring that bell. So you need to go in there with the targeted mentality, unless you want to walk away from it, right? You right. can't go in there and say, hey, I'm going to sponsor this first year, but then I want to be a part of this for the next 10 years, but I'm not going to write a check again. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't work. So yeah. you got to come in, but I'm saying if you got a little bit of capital and you want to say, hey, look, I've got a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars that I, I want to put to work, but maybe I can't hire a full-time salesperson or whatever it is, go find a couple of local associations um, and say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to be a part of your association. And it doesn't have to be a nonprofit association that's focused on a charity. It can be an association that is a um, home services organization or a legal association or a, a CPA association that, that focuses on businesses that you want to target and say, hey, what can I sponsor to be a part of this? Um, you know, if nothing else, you're going to get a great party out of it. Um, you'll get to go and, you know, eat, eat, eat a free box lunch and, and maybe have a couple of cocktails and meet some folks. Um, but at the very best, you're going to have an association you've been selling to for 10 years. And when you walk in there, people give you a hug. And when a new, a new partner joins, the first person they call is you. So um, if you do it right, or if you luck out too, I mean, that's a part of it. Um, it can be very, very profitable. Love it. Love it. Yeah, so um, nice. one of the things I also wanted to highlight for just a second, Patrick, you know, I know that, you know, one of the reasons you have the 1099, you know, kind of independent channel is you do bring on a lot of these uh, individual salespeople who say, I want to sell for an ISO that is focused on strategic relationships so that they can mentor me on, you know, doing that. So maybe touch on that a little bit as far as the types of agents ISOs you're looking for to partner with, and then where could they go to learn more about you and, and uh, what you have to offer? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I, mean, I think, you know, when, when you talk about who's the one, who's the person I want to work with, I think, you know, what I said earlier about leaving our community better than we found it. Um, I want to work with those folks. 
Um, I want to find people who want to come in and they want to do things the right way. Um, and, and honestly, we're looking for folks who talk to all types of merchants. And especially when you get into strategic partnerships, you can't just be the uh, one call close, putting an Ingenico or a PAX terminal out there and, and walking away. A lot of these places you're going to find they're going to need uh, more complicated services. They may need an omni-channel solution. They may need interchange optimization. And you have to be on your toes and be able to answer, the, answer those requests. So looking for folks who even if you don't know it, you want to know it. You don't want to just walk in and sell one terminal and get out of there. We're, we're looking for folks who want to be uh, more of a, on the consultative side, understanding what businesses need, willing to go a little bit above and beyond and find some more complex solutions. Um, those folks are great for us. Um, and we're, we're willing to support them. We've got folks who are willing to help them install, help them you know, with sales support, a little bit of sales engineering, and also provide some back-end support on how to put together what an attractive um, strategic partnership program looks like. So yeah. um, anybody who wants more about that, they can go to our, our contact information is on our website, www.reliablepayments.com. You can reach out to me, P. Gallagher at reliablepayments.com as well. I uh, love to chat with anybody. And if nothing else, just want to have a conversation and say hello. Cool. That's great. How cheesy that's... was that? Wow. I just... That was great. No, I love it. That was good, man. Yeah. Well, Patrick, a, I... a big glass of sweet tea. Right. No, that was great, man. Well, well, Patrick, uh, I really enjoyed our friendship over the years and just being able to talk and, and uh, just kind of seeing the growth of your business has been fun for me. So uh, thank you so much for taking time to share your insights and wisdom uh, with our audience today. Really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thanks so much, James. Patty, great talking to you as well. Hey, great talking to you, Patrick. Thank you right. so much. Really Thanks. insightful. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. So, Patty, in a recent edition of the Merchant Sales Insight, I was talking about competing with PayFac onboarding. Yes, I saw that. Really great. great Thank one. you. So, I just wanted to kind of touch on that for just a second. So, obviously, the sponsor for that was NMI and Iris CRM. And so, we talked about it already. But, you know, PayFacs have a huge advantage when it comes to onboarding right? because of the lack of a variation. You know, if it's toast, mm -hmm. well, they know it's going to be a restaurant. They know their volume. They know their average ticket. They know the device they're going to use to process payments. And so there's, there's a need in our side of it, the ISO and acquirer side to have this kind of standardization of processes, especially as it relates to merchant onboarding. And I really think that iriscrm.com and nmi.com together, they have really made some big strides. We had VG on here yes. recently talking about it, right. um, this idea of instant onboarding and mm -hmm. instantly creating the NMI gateway. And so there's so much friction right now in the onboarding process that if you are an ISO right now, and you do not have a clear path to instant onboarding in the next six months, mm -hmm. I would really encourage you to reach out to iriscrm.com, talk to nmi.com and how you can work with both companies together yeah. with whatever your technology providers are, your, you know, uh, they have a direct integration with all the underwriting departments at the various um, acquiring banks. So, you know, talk to them about what you can do to really grow and, and, you know, really improve your underwriting department and get on this pathway to instant onboarding, because I think it's going to be so crucially important for the future of kind of the ISO agent world. I think it is too. So go to nmi.com. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard.
So, Patty, as is often the case, um, we have a great interview, a uh, great yes. interviewee, and then I want to say more about it. <laughs> so I I'm can't think that our... was going to come because he left so much open there. And, and, it, and it dovetailed with so much of what you've spoken about over the past several years you know, yeah. during these podcasts. Yeah, you know, I just, I really, you know, um, I was thinking about it before. It's funny, actually, I was going to talk about it anyway before the podcast. I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I really don't share very much about my business on the podcast. Um, partly because I don't want to come across like I'm promoting something, which I'm not, but also because, you know, I'm a private person like everybody else, you know, but I think this is one of those cases where, you know, I wanted to share a little bit. And so like, you know, in the last um, 60 days, so, so the way I, the way my work schedule is um, during the summer. So my wife, Christina teaches, as you right. know, and so she uh, teaches uh, history classes in the afternoon um, at a local school where we have a scholarship program and she loves teaching. It's her passion. So as a result of that, during the school year, our, uh, during the, the summer, I take a good bit of time off. We do our, all of our vacations in the summer, things like that. Right. So in, in, in the summer, I have goals to grow for my mm -hmm. team, but mm -hmm. me personally, I'm not as involved in the summer. Then school starts up and then I'm like hundred miles an hour. This, this morning Get I was up working. And, running. Yeah. Yes, I've been, you know, started at 430 in the morning and I'm working, you know, I'm like, I'm all about it. Like I'm ready to go. And, uh, you know, in the last uh, 60 days, um, you know, I've been really blessed to be able to increase our recurring revenue by about $50,000 a month in the last nice. 60 days. Nice. And we've also hired, uh, uh, three full-time people in the last 60 days as well. And, you know, and through that process and kind of where we're positioned at now, um, it just reminds me again how important it is for our audience to understand the 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 value of growth and the value of employing good people and adding to your team, adding mm -hmm. to your staff. You know, mm -hmm. um, for those of you that are brand new, probably not the time yet, right, to to take that that leap necessarily. But it's something that you should be aspiring to. It's something you should be thinking about. Um, I read a book recently that's very interesting uh, on consulting, which I do a lot of consulting. And, you know, it was funny because in the book, you know, the guy was talking about how he's been this, you know, solo person for, you know, years and makes um, seven figures and all of that. And, and, and I definitely see that. And I think there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with that. If you say, well, I just want to be individual. Great. Good for you. But, you know, to me, honestly, that seems a little bit boring. Um, I like the idea of having a team of people, having a staff working together as a team to accomplish, you know, shared objectives. Um, and I think that's really valuable. So I just wanted to share a couple of interesting little side notes from the conversation that we just had about, about growth. So, you know, number one, if you want to be able to hire people, um, you need to think bigger in terms of the revenue that you're going to do. You know, like the, the kind of sales that I'm trying to make now are sales that would be you know, anywhere from 5,000 a month up to, you know, 50,000 a month, you know, type of relationships, whether that's uh -huh. through, you know, in my case, whether it's through consulting, whether it's a massive merchant that I'm trying to help somebody close or, you know, whatever, but I'm trying to put my time into things like that. And then I'm trying to hire people to help be able to scale up and be able to provide really, really valuable services to the clients, you know, that uh -huh. we're, that we're working right. with. And sure. I'll give you a really good example of that. I had a really, really interesting consulting call recently with these two guys who, you know, one of them is a payments expert, you know, salesperson. And then the other one is a developer, computer programmer. Okay. And, you know, they have partnered together, just the two of them. Mm -hmm. And they want to build an, an ISO that focuses on, you know, relationships and integrations with software companies. And, you know, I was telling him it's interesting because my business partner is also my lead developer, Jack. Right. Um, and, you know, I was talking to them about how I loved what they were doing because I think, you know, wow, these two people together 
you know, there's very little that they actually can't do. I mean, if you have a really good salesperson and you have a really good computer programmer in the payments industry today, you can do pretty much whatever you want because there's so many companies already that exist that provide, you know, Payback as a service or an ISV relationship or a processing company or gateways. And so it all exists. It's about bundling it together in the right, right in the right way for the client. Um, and so that's one option. And I think it's an option that a lot of people uh, discount. But, you know, the idea that some of you are saying, well, I'm making $250,000, $300,000 a year. Imagine if you went and partnered with somebody who wants to make $100,000 a year. Okay. And they want the opportunity to make 200,000 a year. So you went from making 300,000 a year, the next year you're going to make 200,000 a year because you're going to pay somebody else a hundred. And it's like, Oh, that's a big cut. Like, wow. But here's what's interesting about that. That person that you now have partnered with that's at a hundred thousand and they have a, they have a you know ownership interest or, or what I like better is a comp plan. That's going to get them to 200,000 a year. Once you're making 500,000 a year, all of a sudden you have all these new opportunities that are going to open up to you, right? Mm -hmm, sure. Then you're going to start to bring on that 40,000 a year person who's going to support you in this other 100,000 a year person. Mm -hmm. And you might, you might need two or three of those people, right? right. Then you bring on another 100,000 a year person. And so, you know, if you think bigger and you said, you know, and it's interesting, I was just, I was literally just had a conversation probably a couple of hours ago with John, uh, who's, you know, our chief revenue officer, and I told him about something I did a few weeks ago or, or about, about a month ago, I guess, because uh, he was saying, man, we, you, like, I'm just closing these crazy deals. I have so many appointments set up with like new clients that are massive contracts, you know, huge deals. And um, he's like, man, it seems like you're really like on fire. And I said, well, I said, I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, put a gun to my head in, in a way and I, I, I metaphorically and said, okay, if I had a gun to my head and I had to increase revenues by $500,000 a month in 24 months, what would I do? I have to do it. What would I do? And, you know, right now, everything I'm doing is mapping to that, right? And I do this all the time. I do this every year when I start up. I'm like, okay. And what I find is every year is I think bigger. Uh-huh, sure. I find ways to, to make do it. it. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, okay, wait a minute. So in order for me to do that, I need to sell 10 clients at this. I need to sell 15 clients at this. I need to, you know, grow our, our statement analysis and training company up to, you know, another 150,000 a month. Oh, okay. I can do that. Like that's reasonable. And then it's okay. Who do I need to hire? You know, what, what strengths and skills do we need to hit that vision? And so it, it continues to scale up. But for those of you that are starting out right now, you're a single person or you've got maybe one support person. Let me encourage you to think bigger and think about who could you partner with? Who could you bring on that would really take it to a whole other level? You know, Patrick alluded to the admin person to free up the salesperson. That was my first hire was right. I realized I could sell. I mean, good night. Put me in front of a merchant and I can sell. But the problem was I wasn't in front of merchants very much as much as I wanted because I was doing installations and customer service and paperwork right. and all that. So I hired people to do that so I could focus on, on mine. Again, not a convenience to say, it'd be great if somebody else did that so I could do nothing. No, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. want to do more. I want to work right. more. So I would say anytime you're hiring people, you know, if you're trying to hire people so you can take it easy, that is not a very inspiring not, vision. Yeah, right, right. You know, but when trying to hire people to say, hey, I've got a vision, like I want to do something big and I want you to be a part of it. People kind of resonate, that resonates with them of like, oh, wow, your vision is enormous. That'd be great. And if I can help you, I'm going to make a lot of money too. Okay, cool, let's do it. And, and then you get a culture going. So anyway, all that to say, um, I would really encourage you to think about your hires. Think about the people that you, 
you know, are bringing on, think about the opportunity cost of the people that you're not bringing on. If you had a full-time developer right now that worked with you for 140,000 a year, how long would it take you to make an extra half a million dollars a year because you had that person at 140, right? And so for those of you making a lot of money and you say, you know, I have people call me all the time, James, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm making 50,000, 60,000 a month in residual. Go hire a developer for 15,000 a month, right? So what am I gonna do with a developer? You'll figure it out. Yeah. Bring, bring them in house and just talk about it. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, James, that's crazy. It's really not actually like you're in the payments industry right now in the payments industry, having a computer develop, you know, programmer, you know, we have three full-time on staff W2. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm like desperately looking for the next one that I'm going to hire and like, just, just getting everything lined up so I can hire the next one. And then I want to hire the next one. Like there's just an unlimited amount of work you can do in the payment space with, with computer programs. So anyway, without going any further, Think about your hiring practices or the fact that you're not hiring. Think about the opportunity cost of that and try to figure out maybe there's something you should be doing to be able to think bigger and be able to grow faster. Great advice, James. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, James, you know, as you probably heard, the big news that broke this this week was that um, the International Standards Group has uh, approved a new merchant category code for gun shops. Right. Now, right now, gun shops are not treated as a separate category, um, you know, unlike, for example, grocery stores or cigar stores. Right. Instead, they're typically categorized as sellers of durable goods, which I guess they are durable, um, or specialty retailers, which I guess they are. Sure. Um, now, the new code applies only to merchants whose primary business is sales of firearms and ammunition. So that means like the big box stores like Walmart that sell guns are not covered by the by the change. Right. Um, it was applied for by Amalgamated Bank out of New York. They made the application to ISO. And I thought this was interesting. I did a little research after I read the news reports. And actually, this bank has been applying to, to ISO for the last two years to do this. Hmm. And they kept getting rejected. And it turned out they were being rejected because the card brands wouldn't get behind it. Yeah. Um, so then the attorneys generals of New York and California, a huge slate of Democratic lawmakers, and two of the country's largest public pension funds, one in New York, one in California, started lobbying for the move. These pension funds, I think it's worth noting, combined hold billions of dollars worth of stock in Visa, MasterCard, and Amex. Mm. The New York Teachers Union alone holds close to a billion dollars worth of stock in these in these you know payment companies. So sure. they're they have a lot of influence. They get a lot of influence. So, and, and, you know, um, what I thought was interesting is, you know, in one of the letters that was sent to um, Amex by a, a group of uh, Democratic uh, Congress people, they were complaining because Amex had not backed this change. And they noted that since 2009, there have been 279 mass shootings causing 1,576 deaths. Um, and in at least five of those mass shootings, um, they were those mass shootings were financed um, with credit cards. 
in particular. Meaning, meaning, meaning the purchase of the guns. Purchases of the guns. Okay. This is the one that blew my mind. In 2017, the gunman who massacred 60 people on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. He used his credit cards to rack up $95,000 in gun and ammunition purchases leading up to that date. Now, okay, so everybody says, so what's the big, you know, how's this going to stop that, right? Right. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's not, you know, there's no given that it will, but a lot of the people, you know, especially people like Amalgamated Bank and the and the pension funds are saying it's a first step towards helping FIs monitor suspicious activities, you know, just like they would with CBT and pot shops, for example. Right. Um, sure. You know, um, and and especially, you know, um, things like straw purchases, you know, where somebody purchases for somebody else or bulk purchases, you know, if those are, you know, if if if. It gives the banks, it gives the um, issuing and acquiring banks just a little bit of an insight into what's going on there. Is it going to sure. stop the violence? No, but um, I think it's, in, you know, it's worth, it's worth, um, this is the way I looked at it. I thought it was really interesting when I was reading this, because as you know, I follow the cannabis sector a lot. And, yeah. you know, these, I'm writing an article about that right now for the Green Sheet. And, you know, I'm talking to people, this one girl I was talking, woman, excuse me, that I spoke to this yesterday, told me she had just come back from selling her crop to a distributor and had $80,000 in cash that she was driving home. Because they can't accept cards. Because they can't accept cards. But sure. the guys who hold up these people <laughs> are using they, cards. They bought the guns with a credit card, right? the guns, you know? <laughs> I mean. Oh, my. So yeah, it I is. Mean, I mean, ultimately, I feel like for as far as the payments industry is is concerned, you know, where this is going to have the biggest impact is going to be just in, you know, high risk because, you know, for those right. who sell gun shops, I mean, and, and really even there, I think it's going to be a negligible difference because even though, yeah, you're putting the the SIC code or, you know, the NI, you know, that you're putting the, the code for the business is still going to be durable goods retailers what it was in the past, right. but it's not like the high risk processor didn't find out it was a gun shop before they uh, onboarded them. Right? right. So honestly, for our industry, it's just going to make it a little more transparent to say, yep, it's a gun shop. I'm actually yep. going to use the code for it. That's what it is. And, um, and, and use the code, you know, unlike what people yes. are doing for CBD shops where they're using a different code. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now it'll be very, very clear. Hey, we're you're processing for a gun shop. Right. Um, and then, you know, hopefully down the road, there will be some, uh, you know, against all odds, there will be some common sense um, legislation around, you know, looking for suspicious hope. activity, things of that nature that will right. protect the rights of gun owners, but at the same time, be able to potentially identify red flags and high risk situations. Um, so, yeah. Well, you, you know, James, I've never told you this, and there are probably a lot of people out there that don't know this, but early on in my career, I worked for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Really? I did not know yes. that. Yes, okay. I did. And so I've, this is a topic that, you know, is yeah, sort of been near insight. and dear to me for going on 40 years now. Yeah. Um, and it is really interesting how we, you know, how this has evolved over, over the years. Um, you know, in, in those days, you know, my number one job was giving reporters tours of our gun vault, <laughs> you know, right. um, 
And now it's more, you know, it's it's, it's much more commonsensical to debate so hard, I think. Yeah, I think so. I actually think we're making some progress in this area. I mean, as usual, we have uh, extreme views on, on every side. Well, this will be a very interesting issue to kind of follow as it's almost kind of the creation of a of a new sub-segment in retail mm-hmm. that obviously is already considered high risk by most processors just for reputational reasons, not so much financial, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how this progresses in the high risk world. So yeah. definitely yeah. Uh, we'll be looking to keep us up to date on this one, Patty. For sure. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.